Welcome to Grace Point Direct, a place where we can dig a little bit deeper into the topics and issues that help us better be the church that God has called us to be. I'm your host, Taylor Wood. I've got a really great episode ahead where I get to talk with Dr. James Hawkins. Dr. Hawkins is an experienced counselor and educator with a demonstrated history of work in various counseling settings. Skilled in emotional focused therapy, he's a doctor of philosophy focused in psychology and counseling from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. He's a fellow podcaster and he's definitely a friend of our church. Dr. Hawkins spoke at Grace Point's October 17th worship service, and I thought it would be fun to talk with him in greater detail on how we can find freedom and forgiveness. Uh, But before we dive into that conversation, uh, we need to call out our upcoming community event, Treat Street. This is a church-wide, community-wide event that our church is hosting on October 30th, Um, and it's a lot like a trunk or treat. So if you've ever been to one of those, uh, then you can expect it to kind of be that way. It's open to the public, like I said, and it's going to be a really great time. As a church, of course, uh, we all want to attend and be a part of this event, uh, but also we got to staff this thing, right? So uh, make sure you jump on to gracepointchurch.net and sign your car up to be a participant in the fun. So it's called being a car host. Uh, So you go to to that uh, website, go to the link, sign up to be a car host, and give out a bunch of free candy to some kids that I know will love it. Okay. Let's jump into our conversation now with Dr. Hawkins as we explore what it's like to find freedom in forgiveness. Dr. Hawkins, I appreciate you sitting with me today, and I um, uh, appreciate you being with our church yesterday. Uh, you've been here for one other time, and mm-hmm. uh, absolutely uh, was was great then. Um, and I'm looking forward to you and I being able to dig into a little bit of what you, you talked through yesterday, uh, but possibly ask some questions that other people may be asking off the um you know, out of the sermon or dig a little bit deeper and give you a, a, an avenue to speak out here um, that's not on stage and confined to the 35 minutes of Sunday morning. So, um, again, appreciate you being with me. Um, why don't we start? I'd, I'd like for myself and others to get to know you just a little bit. Um, where are you from? Uh, you know, family growing up, uh, what you guys have going on now, and just give us a little bit about you. Okay, yeah. I uh, grew up in a little town in out called Albion, Michigan, with my family. Uh, then uh, we moved to Pensacola, Florida. So my life is kind of split in half in that way. You know, part in the north, part in the south. Mm-hmm. I joined the Air Force after completing high school. Went to Louisiana. I was at Barksdale Air Force Base. I was a medic. Uh, I left Louisiana. I left. Well, I left Shreveport area, Shreveport Bossier area, to uh, go to New Orleans to go to seminary. I did that. I got my commission as a chaplain candidate in the Air Force. Did mm-hmm. three years reserve there. Resigned my commission and um, was teaching for a while at seminary. Um, I'm a licensed professional counselor. Then I got to come to Arkansas and work here in Arkansas, and I'm really appreciating it. And so I really appreciate my wife of Nicole. my wife is Nicola. She's also she's a counseling mm-hmm. student herself. We have five beautiful daughters who have been on this this great journey with us now. You know, really to really understand me, what I guess when you say favorite activities, of course, I'm in Northwest Arkansas. <laughs> I've got I've got my mountain bike. I've got my road bike. Course, I like putting yeah. miles in that way. I like to work out and really be out in the trees and in this beautiful place of this of Northwest Arkansas. But I really like creating content and finding ways to help our community on their journey towards healing. And we really, you know, I'm at the Joshua Center now is where I work at. It's a, a nonprofit counseling agency here in the area. Mm-hmm. And we really thrive and really pride ourselves on really pushing to help uh, help and equip our community once again for that that journey towards healing. So that's a little bit about me. Yeah, yeah. Are you still creating um, podcast content? 
Well, in a way, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, my wife and I is still out there if you want to. We really appreciate the ministry of uh, KLRC here. Uh-huh. We did a podcast for them for a while on marriage and family called A More Excellent Way. You can still find that on all the listening platforms. Now I do a podcast with my colleague, Dr. Ryan Reyna. It's called, uh, well, we do two. <laughs> One of them is Transforming Leadership Through Attachment Science. And that's more geared towards helping people in leadership from a counselor's perspective, getting it and understanding the inner workings of who you are as a leader, but also what does it mean to lead people who have all of their inner workings? It's not just about what they crank out and produce, but how do you really connect with them to help them thrive and be the best they can be so that then your company overall then thrives there. Right. Um, And then we also do another one that really gears more so towards counselors or helpers in a way, if you want. Um, It's called the leading edge and emotionally focused therapy. Right. And so on that one, uh, th- that kind of brings up a little bit of something I want to ask off the bat here, uh, you know, equipping people for counseling. Um, th- that seems to be a specific skill. What's what's the difference? You know, I'm, I'm on pastoral staff here at our church. What do you feel like the difference is between being a pastor, kind of pastoral counseling, but then maybe uh, a counseling that someone would need outside of that? Where's that begin and end? Uh, where are those skill sets kind of cut off for you? Yeah, that's good. You know, one, I want to go ahead and validate because I know sometimes we get into this. People can get into this battle about whose whose territory it is. Mm. You know, pastors are like, we are the ones that's been given this right. Ther- therapists are like, no, you're not competent. Right. I really say I want and that's why we're at the Joshua Center. We want to equip the whole community to be a part of healing. So right. I do believe that both pastors and counselors have a mutual role in in caring for the souls and well-being of people. Hmm. Now, with in, in so part of that in general, the pastor or the counselor, we all need to know our scope of limitations. What are we adequately equipped for and knowledgeable about? Hmm. Because when people are in distress and hurting, we don't just need to wing it. Right. So if you and so my criteria is, is how do you do at being approximate with people in pain and suffering and meeting them there? And I use the, the, the biblical kind of meta, uh, example of the, the, the uh, prodigal son. Mm-hmm. You know, we can look at the father. We look at the prodigal. We look at the brother who stayed and was faithful. But I think our journey as pastors and as counselors, we're supposed to be like, who are we alongside the road when the prodigal son does come to himself? We are the people along the side of the road that walk with him back to the father's house. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Now, the pastors, I think, have a more general role. And so they might have so many other things that are coming. So there are times where they do kind of like they're like the family practice doctor. They just see sure. almost anything and everything. That, they're the front line of, of, of defense in a way. Wow. Right. Yeah. yeah. Then the therapist, what it is, is we've had this calling and commitment to we sit in this all day, every day. This is our lives. Right. So we have a more specialized focus, more resources, more time to give than maybe our pastors do. But there are some pastors, my mentor that really led me into even chaplaincy and this side of counseling was because he was a superb pastoral counselor. Mm. He grew his ministry out of that. So that's why I never write off our pastors, but I do want to encourage pastors while you study the the concepts and, and cognitive parts of theology, do not forget the theology of application with people in real life suffering. Absolutely. Your teaching has to touch real lives where they are or else it's not applicable. Right. And we don't change people's lives with cognitive kind of nuances more times than not. What really changes people's lives is being met in their pain and suffering. 
Right. I love that. I love that you outline the difference in, uh, you know, pastoral counseling, but then also even the difference in counseling and therapy. Um, I have a friend of mine who, who is a therapist that uh, enlightened me on this a couple of years ago uh, of just that those are different roles. Those are different peoples. You, you use counseling for one purpose, you use therapy for another, and it might be deeper or maybe this. There's different things. But would you say it's accurate um, for an individual to say, um, I have this problem going through, I've gone through this trauma or I need this type of healing. It may be reasonable to say that I need um, pastoral guidance and I need um, to sit with a counselor at the same time, uh, possibly even need counseling and then into therapy or vice versa. What's the 100%. combination there? 100%. One, I never even thought about distinct. I didn't even know if I did it, but I don't really, I, I never thought to distinguish between counseling and therapy per se, mm. because even when you get to the root word of therapy, it's the Greek word therapeuo, it's about setting an environment for healing. Mm. And so we are all always setting an environment for healing. We just right. have different roles in that environment. Right. Um, now with the, with that example you just gave as a therapist, I, I, you know, when I have a client and they're open to a Christian worldview, one of my questions I do ask them is, do you have meaningful connections within your local church with other people who can walk with you through this time? I'll do some of the specialized work here, but what I'd rather, what I really want you to have is also those relationships outside of you. Right. Um, so yes, because there's sometimes when people come in, I'm helping them with a, one specific part, then they might get into some theological things, but I'm not really a theology teacher. That's not what they're, the time that they're paying me for. I re- then refer them back to their, their local body because I'm not trying, I'm trying to help you through this particular point of suffering not teach you different theological positions. I want your pa- I want your your pastoral staff to be the one that shepherd you in that area. Right. Well, our church has been going through, uh, I believe, seven weeks now of a, a little series called Churches That Heal, and it's it's much less about um, being a church that goes out and heals other people, and and kind of first about looking introspectively and saying, um, who am I? Uh, am, am I someone who? Um, is healed and a healed individual, or at least pursuing healing, right? And because that's a journey and a process. Um, but who am I as an individual? And then therefore, because I'm healthy, now I can, um, you know, influence those around me. I can, I can bring health to the people around me. Um, mm-hmm. And you're kind of, um, you know, capping this series. Uh, and this is a, that was our last week. Um, yesterday was our last week or this past Sunday. And so um, I, I have some, um, I, I think it'd be beneficial for those listening, maybe for you just to kind of push through um, our, our title for yesterday mainly was finding freedom and forgiveness. And so kind of, there's obviously lots of aspects to the journey of healing. Um, it seems like forgiveness plays a major role in that journey. Um, mm-hmm. But if I'm just being honest, I have some questions because this is probably one of my even uh, hardest <laughs> topics to deal with when we're talking about healing. Um, and so um, if you wouldn't mind, just kind of push through maybe um, some of those points uh, that, that you talked about, just finding finding freedom freedom and forgiveness, and then uh, maybe we can, we can jump into what forgiveness is and, and what role it plays in that process. Yeah, 100%. So, you know, uh, well, first off, you know, what does what does forgiveness even really mean? That's the that's the that's the big one million dollar question even really to get there. And and I'm going to talk about that for a quick second. I'm probably not going to do it complete justice here, but I really think forgiveness is about. um, It is that releasing of a debt for pain that has been inflicted upon you, Hmm. a rightful debt is a releasing of a rightful debt that someone has incurred for inflicting pain or hurt upon you. So you, so here's part of it. You have to be able to acknowledge that the pain and hurt happened to you. Right. 
Um, I, that's why I, I cringe a little bit when I talk to people talk about forgiveness is like, like, and they correlate it with like this forgetting. I'm like, no, <laughs> I see people who try that and they get stuck in their life because they never, you have to acknowledge, you need to know that there is an offense that is occurring. All right. So right. James, show me a biblical example. Even Jesus on the cross, father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In other words, they are doing something wrong. They're hurting me. They're inflicting. This is not just, but I'm still going to go ahead and ask you to forgive them. And then right. we see Stephen mo- model that. He was put on a false trial, really, that wasn't just. And he gives a great testimony. No one could accuse him. But then he still says he looks up. He sees Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right. Um, even Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But Jesus like, that's not really what, what it needs to be. It's like, you, you know, he calls us to forgive. And how many times? 70 times seven. You know, mm, when Peter asks, right. how many times do we forgive? 70 times seven. Right. In other words, and it's not just a one-time thing. It's an ongoing, constant occurrence. So. There has to be, first and foremost, there has to be an acknowledgement of pain for the process of healing to begin. Has to be. Now, right. and I think forgiveness, part of it too, is forgiveness is, it could be done within oneself. Forgiveness is about a, really a mindset for one person. Now, this is where it gets into the weeds of what about forgiveness and reconciliation or forgiveness and trust, reestablishing of trust. Mm-hmm. And so part of that is I can forgive. That's me. I'm recognizing, I'm acknowledging something happened here. It hurt me. I was wrong. And I can, and I can, and I have a choice. And I do believe like, I want to hear you give an answer to this, an apology, some type of restoration for this. Now that's me and my responsibility, my choice. What do I do with my pain? That's my choice. You don't get to take that from me. You've already hurt me. You don't get to choose what I do with my pain. Right now. With reconciliation, or I, I kind of not even just reconciliation, it's about trust, right? Hmm. It, it, what it is, is now that becomes a mutual process. A mutual process of both parties are acknowledging that a pain and an injury occurred. The person who did it can acknowledge it, sees it. But also the person who inflicted it also makes a commitment to be with you in the pain hmm. and the impact of what their actions caused. Right. And both parties begin to share and work in that process. And then the goal is working towards now, how do we write a new narrative going forward with our relationship? Right. So you see how that's how forgiveness can be on one side, we get trust. And I think it is a reestablishment of trust and reconciliation. It takes both parties to work on that because sometimes you can forgive someone and they say, I choose not to acknowledge it. I'm not going to validate it. I'm not going to do anything with it. It's all in you. Right. It's your head. Or they kind of give this very shallow. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Well, mm. wait, wait, it, that, that's great. But like this, I, 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 I still need to talk with you. Nope, nope, nope. You're not, just forgive me. Just, just let it go. Like it's just very not, they not really taking it in. And that shows me something that person is still one that feels like a sense of unrepentance, no remorse, right. For their right. actions, not taking of accountability for it. Uh, and then that begins to show me, it's not even just like, I can still not hold penalty, but like, it doesn't, it doesn't feel safe to move into the same relationship we had together before. Right. I, I've got to choose to like kind of handle you a certain way because of how you have chosen to conduct yourself. And that's your choice. Right. Uh, I want to bump back uh, on something that you were uh, saying earlier, and you're drawing a correlation between uh, or just putting it together that um, sometimes we choose to forget um, instead of forgive, because may- maybe that's easier. Something like in your experience working with people and, and talking through this, why do you think that we choose that forgetting over pursuing 
that that just one-sided forgiveness first. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think some of it is because pain is overwhelming. Mm. And to feel like I need to just go ahead and put a nice neat bow on the story and get over it. Because um, it's, a, it's a hard process sometimes to have to go revisit it, even for the person who was hurt. Um, right. To talk about it with the person brings it back up. And so I think sometimes it could feel con- like convenient or easy to want to, or there's a lot of complicated factors because sometimes the, the biggest betrayals and hurts come from people that we care about right. or that we trusted. So now it's complicated because now you feel like if I keep doing this, do I lose the other part of our relationship where that was good before I got hurt? So that gets complicated. Um, there could be different power differentials that come into play, whether it's, um, you know, hierarchically, hierarchically within the church or if there's a family member. It, it, sometimes there's, there's there's systemic pressure, right? Mm, um, we've right. seen it where in families, sometimes it's, I hate this, I'm not you're trying to use these character caricatures, but it's like this uncle or someone. And it's like, well, if you do that, if, if this person, if you if you bring this out or you talk about this, you're going to hurt the whole family. Mm. And some people choose to try and just forget because I can't pursue it. And, and even the forgiveness part is hard, right? Um, right. Uh, and then also there is sometimes we make this mistake and we have to acknowledge this that within the church, we can apply systemic pressure to some people sometimes where um, we want to wrap things up to, to avoid the public appearance of some evil or bad. And so we sometimes put it on victims to let it go and move on to protect the image of the church, which really is another form of traumatization um, upon the person, too, as well. Right. I, I, and a little bit of a follow up on that particular point, um, just because we are dealing with a church conversation right now. Um, what do you what do you think the line of, um, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with this issue. This person needs to pursue uh, spiritual repentance. Um, but also we need to address this outside of the church like the, this this instance needs to be addressed outside you know I, th- I think there's a little bit of a tendency pastorally to say well we can handle this because this seems to be a spiritual issue where man you know what we've crossed some lines here and we and we've we've crossed over some boundaries and that needs to be handled yeah um there's two things i think one i, I that passion needs to wrestle with why are you doing that you need to really mm-hmm. wrestle truly with the motivation of why you're doing that mm-hmm. and then while you're doing that, if you're doing that just to smooth over a moment, well, that's the wrong motivation too. And then two, you need to think about the implications of that and take responsibility. So if you smooth that over and you don't follow up with appropriate systems outside of the church and it happens to someone, are you willing to take accountability for that action on your hands because of your choice? Right. And I think we're looking at um, a society that's got a, a pretty good amount of people in it who have gone through traumas and taken it to the church or gone through traumas while at a church or something like that. And what you just said has happened where it was talked about and pop, you know, shamed, but not followed through with. And then all of a sudden it's the church that becomes the, the foreseen problem. Right. And and, if, if going back to your question, if the, if something like particularly when you, that question makes me think about things like what if it, there is, some type of childhood sexual abuse. Mm. Well, I mean, biblically, the Bible does say that there are rulers and authorities put in place for reasons. Right. And so I think, one, when we try and do that, what we're trying to do is subvert and get around that to some degree. Um, and then two, I, once again, if you do that, then how do you know, like this person, 
that there's not other victims or possible future victims that you so you need to like you might get them all you try and help them get off on this one but then what about later are you willing to take accountability for that right Two, i've seen churches successfully where some situations like that happen and they say hey and this was just a great example it's like this is hard and we really care about you so we are going to follow up on this mm-hmm. and we're not just going to throw you out because i don't i'm not saying churches need to throw them out but what we will commit to doing is while we're also taking care of the person who was hurt we're going to walk with you through that system process so let's go you know if you want to we can pick up and we can call make the phone call right now together we can go down to whatever office we need to go down to together i'll go with you I'll go to your court appointments. I'll go to some of your lawyer's visits. I'll help you with finding a lawyer. I'll pray for you. And then the follow-up actions, I'll continue to walk with you and follow up with you as much as you allow me to be. But this this is a journey we're going to take. Yeah, that seems like a very reasonable church uh, body, not church the building, but church body uh, approach right. to how you support people and those around you. Not even, um, you know, not, just not even to put or to take the focus off of pastors, you know, themselves to just be a brother and sister in Christ and right. and Correct. walk with that person. Um, so I want to go to uh, pursuing uh, rebuilding that trust. So you were talking about um, forgiveness is one sided. Re- the rebuilding of trust takes two yeah. parties, right? Because right. you can't have trust one way. Right. Um, and so my, my kind of my question to that is, what do you think my responsibility would be as an individual to manage that authenticity of someone else's repentance or response or in order to pursue, you know, let's say I'm trying to rebuild trust with an individual and it just doesn't seem like they are interested in that. Um, you know, what's my responsibility in that and and what's the rub there? You know, rubber's got to meet the road at some point. Yeah. So here's what part of it is. Um, so I, one, I like the comment Joseph made even in our passage here and Joseph said, am I in the place of God? Hmm. And so when I don't want to put it on the person, that's not your job to manage the other person's response. You are not in the place of God. Their response, they're accountable to God for their response. You, you cannot control that. You get out of your, you're out of your, you're out of your circle of, of responsibility when you make that choice. Right. So that, that's one part. Now, what you are responsible for, and this is kind of like a process that I did talk about in the sermon, like, what does it look like? And I'm not saying this is cookie cutter, but what does that process of healing broken trust look like? Right. And this, and I'm going to go over some of what it looks like for both parties, right? The one who is hurt has to openly be able to openly and clearly speak to their hurt. They need to fully embody it and feel it. Because here's part mm-hmm. of what it is. That, give, that, that gives your body a chance to let it go. Like your body has physiological responses to these pains and hurts and traumas. You need to let your body go through that course. So to fully feel it and get put words to it, put language to it, unprocessed uh, negative experiences and emotions become hindrances that block us in our life when we don't process them. They can right. lead to physical illnesses. They can lead to uh, physical, physical pain. And they also just lead to us getting stuck in relationships when we don't process. So I've got to be able to do that because one, here's the part, your pain and sharing it should evoke some type of empathy in the person who caused it. I mean, for those of us, like, you know, you've got kids. I got to see your kids before we rolled through, right? <laughs> yes. You know, when you do things and you have, to, and it causes them pain, when you have to reprimand them in some way and they, you see that tear dribble down their eye, mm. 
it does something to your heart to see like, oh, that's someone I love and cherish and I cause pain. Even if it's like, like you, you do it in this intentional, maybe you had a bad day and you were short with your kid. And they're like, daddy, why are you so mad at me? And you're like, oh, right. my God. it just hits your heart. Right. And that's because they showed that it hurt. It do, did something in you to then their pain moves you with compassion to seek restoration with them. So that you need to be able to share it. The other person, here's the key part. The second part is they have to be able to stay with that, that pain that's being shared. They don't, they can't, they don't get to just move away into their own shame and guilt and isolate away from it. Because here's the part that they don't understand by staying with it and being able to acknowledge it also gives them some freedom because if they can be there within your pain, they see it shift. They get to see that. Yes, I caused hurt, but I got to see the, also that I, I got to follow up and so, and seek restoration. So you've got to be able to stay with it. And then the third part of that is when both are, one shares, one stays with it, responds to it, both get to work on. The sense of instead of saying never again, will I ever trust you both get to work on shifting that from never again to what's the possibility for our future together. Hmm. They both get to work on constructing that. But even as we do that, what we find for clients and people in the world that sometimes it still comes back up again, even moving forward, still brings up some grief. Like, oh man, I kind of, it's like, it feels like, it feels like there's this marker in history on the relationship of you remember it. And it's like, so sometimes that pain might come up. That person needs to know that even while we're moving forward, I still have the ability to come to you and still share with you as the pain, not to punish you, but mm. to let you know that it's there. Because I see some people try to move on and they feel like, okay, we did that big moment. So now I can no longer ever talk to the person about it. And they keep, it happens like so many times that memories come up and then they begin to get, start getting distant because there's this big thing still happening that they can't talk about. Right. And then I think it's important that you're drawing that out because you're going to have that memory. You can't get away from it. Like this event exactly. happens. Right. And a lot of times we want to say, well, we dealt with that as, as a singular past event. And exactly. that's not how that works. That's not how hurt works. Right. Uh, so I, I, I like that you're drawing that out because it is going to be a process and maybe even starting with that mindset with that individual saying, mm-hmm. look, I have forgiven you. It seems like we're both trying to pursue some trust rebuilding here, but I just want you to know that, that I want this to be a continual process. Like, you know, if we lead the conversation to where it's like, okay, we dealt with that. Then all of a sudden it's a blind side when those things come up to you or the other individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause sometimes new information comes up, not that it changes everything, but it's just like, Hey, you know, this, or especially when I work with couples who go through betrayal or affairs, it's like, you know, they might be watching a movie and then something happens and it triggers a memory. Right. And then that wife's body gets paralyzed. And she's like, I don't know. I don't want to make him feel bad. And, mm. and the husband's going on with life. And he's like, he looks over and he notices something different with wife, but he's not quite sure. Then he might have a memory. He might have a thought too. Like, oh, I think I know what it is. But then if they have to both remain silent, because that's the key with pain. Even when you go back to Genesis, as I mentioned in the sermon, Satan likes to isolate us in our pain and work on our minds and thoughts and separation. Hmm. Yeah. God built us to be able to come together and find pain must be met and pain, pain must be responded to in relationship. Right. Cause pain, the, particularly what we're talking about, you know, on, even on Sunday was that pain happened, that pain that happens in relationship must be healed in relationship. It cannot be done in isolation. Right. It cannot. And I, I, I've been doing this for so many years and I've got thousands of hours sitting in the seat pastorally and as a clinical counselor and it doesn't happen. Right. It doesn't. Now, forgiveness can happen and people move on, but like healed relationships can't be done by one person. It takes all parties involved. 
Right. Um, I have a, a few questions here and then a couple of uh, things I think we can, um, that I want to ask to kind of wrap this this up in a little bit. But um, I, I want to talk about um, a specific uh, parent-to-child relationship. So let's talk about adult children and you know, adult child, which is kind of an oxymoron. But, um, you know, <laughs> the, the adult who has a, an older parent um, and the responsibility that we see in the Bible of uh, honor your father and mother. Mm-hmm. And what you get into a position with your father or your mother that mm-hmm. it's not doesn't seem like an honoring relationship. <laughs> it doesn't seem like this is uh this is a relationship that needs to be pursued. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know what would what would be some advice you would give someone who's maybe struggling with that parental relationship where there is some uh, systematic authority, right? Um, there's some, there's some parental authority there. Maybe you're close. Maybe you're not. Maybe this is a parent that's done a a past hurt. That's trying to reenter into your life. We know this, but who knows if the relationship is healthy or not, you know, how do you manage that as someone who's trying to be a disciple of Jesus, who wants to honor your father and mother while at the same time, maybe seeing that the relationship isn't, um, healthy and you could be toxic or whichever. Mm -hmm. No, really good question. And I do see that one actually happen a lot. And this is not every time 100% guarantee, but many times what I see in these situations for the parent, right, is usually for them, you can track it back. And there's been this um, uh, generational pattern to some of that. Either they were traumatized and then because they had issues and things in their life that they never could find healing and resolution with, um, then what happens is, is in one trauma term, it's like their pain becomes dirty pain. Mm. It's pain that just leaks out and gets passed on. We all have pain. The difference is, is do we have clean pain? Pain that's been processed, that's been um, that's been processed, and we find some redemptive narrative and healing in it. And then what we get to pass on is what the Bible says: comfort others with the same comfort with which you've been comforted. Mm. You know, comfort comes because there was some type of hurt or distress. So right. to earn com- to earn this ability to give this compassion, it usually comes from a place of some pain that's been processed and it's clean. So what I'm saying is even for that parent, noticing with them is I work with people and sometimes we see the parents dirty pain, the pain that they went through and never found resolution or help. Now what happens is, is though that doesn't mean that they get to do whatever they want, treat people however they want, but we can make some space of, I get it. It's almost like the, like the Stephen and Jesus saying, father, forgive my parents. They knew not what they do. Hmm. They did. Yeah. And so they did the best of what they could. So what it is, is you can break it into parts. I can honor the part of them and the struggle and the pain that they had. I can also honor that God, you and your sovereignty, you allowed them to be my parents. And so I'm even honoring you as my heavenly father who is above us all. And you chose them and I'm praying and I'm interceding for them. And even though there's might be abandonment and rejection, I love in the Psalms where it says he's a father to the father hmm. so that you never, even in their brokenness, you never left me alone. Right. And so, and you can honor those parts, the, who they are, the role that God gave them in your lives and the struggle that they had while you can also acknowledge, and here are some of the things in their brokenness that happened to me right. and how it affected me and how it affected me. And so I'm coming from you before you got right now, not to bury them in their wrongdoings, but I'm seeking continual healing and restoration for me and for the generations that come after me. Yeah. I'm not passing yeah. on the dirty pain anymore. I'm passing on clean pain. Right, I think the the um, the fuel or the focus of I don't want to pass this on is yeah. a powerful tool, and because that, that I mean, as a parent, I mean that's got to be your a, a major motivation. And I want to be careful, and it's not even just like 
I've learned how to do this work. And then because you've done that work, what you get to pass on to your kids is because they're going to be hurt. You're going to fail. You're going to fail your kids sometimes. Hopefully not the same ways. Right. You learn. But then you teach your kids on what it looks like to make restoration, mm. what it's like to honor what they've been through. Right. You teach them that uh, this is what we do in relation. This is what we seek. And then sometimes when it can't happen, these are the boundary lines we have to work on and draw. But we do want to try and work and press to see it, God's redemption if we can. Right. But there's sometimes I've seen people, they have to draw that line with their parents. Like, here's the part I can let you in, but here's the part that's still happening, that's still going. And so therefore, and because one, they are the parents, but this goes back to Genesis. A man shall be united with his wife and they will become one flesh, right? Mm -hmm. He left his father and mother's house. So this is what we have to do. As for our house, this is what we have to do. Right. Uh, I want to ask this question, and I know that you might not, it, it may be a little dangerous to say, well, uh, yes or no to this, because it's not a, a an answer that would apply to every situation. So I want to acknowledge that before, um, because I think it, as I think through that situation and you have grandkids, so your kids would be grandkids kind of in the situation, you know, and it's like you feel this responsibility as a parent. Well, this is the, this is the grandparent. And you're like, what I, we can't withhold that relationship. Um, you know, is it do you think that there's a time where, you know, you have to figure that out and say, you know, it's not ideal and we don't like this, but for now we have to have the separation. Oh, 100%. And I think you just need to sit down. One, if it's like a married couple, you sit down and you have that talk very clearly between the two of you. Hmm. This is like, okay, this is what this is. And the reason why we're doing these boundaries, like, is what we ultimately would like is this type of healing restoration in the relationship. Right. Make that part clear. Hmm. But here's where we're still stuck at. These are the things that aren't being addressed. So because these aren't being addressed, these are the things we're doing to put some some safety boundaries in place in the meantime. It's not the one we don't want to do it out of reactivity or or vengeance or inflicting pain because of what they did. That's right. not the right motivation. Right. But then so you talk about it with you two. You do. I think you can have that conversation with the kids with, with, as appropriate. Like, hey, we want we love your grandparents. We respect them. We want them to be a part of your lives. Right now, mommy and daddy are having to work through them things with them. So these are going to be some of the things that we put in place. So the kids know. Hmm. Yeah. But then you go have that talk with the parents. Right. And you say, here's what and you, you lay out. This is what we've decided. This is where we are. This is what we're wanting. Here's what we're concerned about. You know, kind of. And then you have to put the ball in the court. You know, what are you what it, kind of what are where are you at with all of this? And how is it sitting for you? What is your response? Right. Then they might, if they push back and push back, push back, like, okay, I respect that. That is your 100% choice. Here's what we have to do then, given these circumstances, because this is, these are some no-go areas for us. Right. I love the practicalities of that. Um, and, and I want to um, ask, uh, just um, as we're looking at uh, healing here and, and we're seeing, uh, maybe assessing ourselves and looking at ourselves in these situations. Um, I've, I've had a couple of these conversations with people, and uh, we'll, we'll take this conversation kind of a different way. Um, a couple of conversations where they're like, you know, I, I really just don't feel like I have any traumas. You know, I, I don't really feel, I, you know, I've had a pretty good life, and, um, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not really sure where this conversation of personal healing really applies to me because I can't really pinpoint anything in my life that I need to, to, to heal from. Um, what, what's the role of this healing conversation for that individual? Maybe, maybe their parents did a, a great job or maybe they were normal parents and they just have a good perspective on, you know, they made mistakes, but they were trying their best. Um, you know, what kind of fit into that, that mold of like, I'm not really sure I need to pursue this conversation because I don't know where it fits for my life. Yeah. 
And I definitely know I get that a lot of this focus on parents, but as we know, like this hurt can come from many different places, friends, right. coworkers, uh, fa church family. Um, and it can happen, you know, whether it definitely workplace systemically in society, it can happen as well too. Um, and I say, this is not just about you and your pain. Sometimes you're going to be the person on the other end who someone comes to you, letting you know that something happened to them. Mm -hmm. So even in our story with Joseph and the brothers, the way it started out was you can see that there's not been a point, as you said, that they never had a really clear conversation about the incident. Joseph, did he, he revealed himself to them. He kissed them. He hugged them. He welcomed them in, go back, get dad. But there was never, we didn't see this family conversation of where they looked Joseph in the eyes and like, we did this thing. Mm, yeah. We did this thing. And it was horrible. It was wrong. We were jealous. It was, it was evil. And we lied. You know, they didn't have that conversation. So now what happens here is in the story is they all of a sudden, like you said, dad dies and they still, they're being manipulative still. Mm -hmm. They're still trying to manipulate Joseph. They, yeah. they let's go back and let's tell Joseph that dad's it. So they still haven't really taken. So I think even for that person that's listening, it's hold on to this. Put it in your back pocket mm -hmm. because either one day you could be on the receiving end or you might be put in a place where someone says, hey, I feel like you did this thing to me. Wow. And then you have yeah. to say like, uh-oh, I don't need to be like Joseph's brothers. Wow. I need to be yeah. the person that, it, that can sit with their pain. I can acknowledge what they're saying. And even sometimes it might come out like, okay, they, they, they're saying a lot of things that maybe I didn't do. But what I also can still see why they're saying it is something really hurt them. Right. Something really did hurt. So let me lean into that hurt. And I got to deal with the hurt before I go into all the facts and explanations. That's what people, people, that's what one thing, this is me being a counselor. The way our bodies are built is that the neural connections in the brain for the, the feeling center, particularly like fear and anger, mm -hmm. they have more connections that reach more parts of the body and they react quicker than the cognitive parts of our brain. Mm. So emotion in moments when we are, are hurt or there's like a, a, a life or like a fight or flight response, emotions fire off quicker than you are able to reason. Reason comes when usually there's a, a, a settling of that emotional system. So what I can do, when, even when people are upset with me, I meet you in that, that where I see the pain and the fear coming up. And then when I see your body calm and your, your, like your brain's fully back connected again to the rest of your yeah. body and you can reason, then we can have the factual conversation. Hmm. But we see it in today's society. People like arguing facts back and forth. Like, why don't you hear me? You're not hearing me. It's like, well, because both of your brains are like flipped <laughs> wide open on fear and anger and neither one of you are going to be able to hear. So right. it's unproductive. Right. Yeah, I love that. The responsibility of just um, being, I'm going to say, Again, a disciple of Jesus, a believer. This is who a believer is. A believer is someone who brings healing. And sometimes that's because you need to stop and you need to be introspective and you need to heal. Sometimes that's you go through that process and you say, man, it's great, but I'm going to grab these tools and I'm going to put them in my belt and we're going to walk down the road and when I need them and, or when the people around me need them, I'm going to be uh, available to them and I'm going to be able to actually do what I want to do, which is help people. Um, uh, along the way, especially a brother, sister in Christ. Um, and so I, I, I like that. I like that perspective of just, even if you're not, if you, even if you're looking at this conversation going, I don't really know where I fit into this. Maybe someone around you does. And just because you don't have a, tra a trauma or you don't have something you need to heal from particularly, doesn't mean that you haven't hurt or that you haven't done something where someone around you needs healing from, from your attitude or perspective or the way that you treated them. Well, hey, I appreciate you sitting with me. I really do. And, and uh, I think that our, our church and, and the people who are going to listen to this content are better for it. And uh, I thank you for allowing God to speak through you and use you to 
uh, bring this content to, to us. So um, hopefully we'll see you very soon in the future. All right, man. See you. See you. Yes. <laughs>